Good morning. Our reading today comes from Proverbs 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, go ahead and have a seat, and as you go to your seats, uh, let us go to God in prayer. Father, we are grateful that we, uh, as your people, have been called your friends, that we are found in our friend and brother, Jesus Christ, that we can claim his life, that in him we have fullness of life and fullness of joy. And so I pray we would find that today, find that we would marvel at the height and depth and breadth of the love of Jesus Christ for his people, for us. Oh, there are names are written in the book of life. May we rejoice over that. Spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand your word. I pray that the gospel would be uh, made known today, would be rejoiced over, would be uh, nourishing to our souls. This is the work you do. We're so happy. We love you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Well, have, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jeff Jamison. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful that we can all be together on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day. I think if you were looking for maybe overwhelming proof that the triune God exists, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if you were looking for overwhelming proof that that God exists, then I would say look at friendship. You can find that in friendship. And even unbelievers, even those who would not claim to trust uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior that would look upon Christianity and say, that is not for me, even a non-believer would, would say, friendship, there's just something special about this. There's something that, that is joyful about friends meeting together, friends sharing together. And of course, we as believers would be able to say yes, because it points us to the one who created us, and we are created in his image. Pastor Drew Hunter wrote a book a few years ago, and the name of the book is Made for Friendship. And in it, he says this, he says, if you ask me what's best in life, I'm going to give you names. What's best, what's best in God are also names. Those names are Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are found in him, your name is in there as well. If we could ever ask God what is best in life, he's going to say your name. Isn't that unbelievable? The friendship of the Godhead, the friendship enjoyed, Father, Son, and Spirit now enjoyed by you and me. And that's good news this morning. The friendship of God. So friendship then shows up on page one of the Bible. Friendship shows up before creation itself. And indeed, friendship is a prominent theme all throughout Scripture. 
and especially so in the book of Proverbs. Listen to what Scottish pastor Hugh Black, who he wrote a book on friendship, it's called Friendship, he said this of the book of Proverbs. There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. Friendship is a, is a tender topic in our day and age. It's tender because we live in a time where there's increasingly shallow friendships, friendships uh, that don't really plumb many depths. And a lot of times these friendships, as we know, are, are played out online. They're digital friendships that are shallow. Here's another quote, this one from C.S. Lewis, and many of you know he wrote a, basically a treatise on friendship in his book, The Four Loves, and he says this, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. What I want to do this morning is talk about friendship. And, and for many of us, of course, this is a familiar topic. Maybe for a lot of us, we take it for granted. Friendship is just what happens. I think many of us are blessed with friends in this room, close friends, in fact. And, and we could just go through life maybe taking that for granted. And this morning, let's not do that. This morning, I want to I hold up the jewel that is friendship, the, the jewel that is friendship because Scripture says that it is, that we're friends of God. And I want to hold that jewel up and study it as we consider this passage in the book of Proverbs. So the main idea, which is written on the handout that you picked up, hopefully on the way in, is simply this, the wise man praises and exalts true friendship. The wise man praises and exalts true friendship. So we are in the middle of our study in Proverbs. We're probably four or five weeks in at this point. We're going through Proverbs this summer. We've titled the sermon series Straight Paths. We get that from several places actually in the book of Proverbs that refer to paths. And specifically in Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, we talk or we hear God talk or Solomon talk about the straight paths that God brings, that he makes what is crooked straight. And, and when he does that, we grow in wisdom. We've said that the the aim of Proverbs is that it would produce in us wisdom, and that wisdom begins and is foundational on the fear of the Lord, and that in the fear of the Lord, we truly see how God is calling us to live unto him. How, how do we live wise lives as we fear the Lord? And so today, we are going to look at the value of friendship. Friendship. How do we live in the fear of the Lord when it comes to this beautiful topic of friendship? And I want to particularly look at the passage that Stephanie just read over us, two verses from Proverbs 27. These two verses, I will argue, are going to show us three things about the nature of friendship. And they're there in, on your handout, and we'll fill in the blanks as we go. But I, I believe that Proverbs 27, 9 and 10 show Show us the wisdom of friends, the faithfulness of friends, and the nearness of friends. The wisdom, faithfulness, and nearness. So let's jump right on in. Let's get to the first point, which is the wisdom of friends satisfies. 
That's the first blank on the handout. The wisdom of friends satisfies. Let's read verse 9 again. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And all of you who use essential oils and have the diffusers say amen. Like this is your, uh, this is your purpose verse for having that thieves going in your house all the time. What is, what is Solomon actually trying to say here? Well, we read about the pleasantness of oil and the pleasantness of fragrance and perfume several different places in Scripture. One of them is Psalm 33, Psalm 133, I should say, who, that, that refers to uh, the oil, precious oil running down the beard of Aaron. And, and the oil is a symbol of unity and fellowship. We might think of the story of Mary perfuming Jesus' feet before the crucifixion with expensive ointments and this, uh, giving a beautiful, fragrant offering in that story. And what's happening when we hear those things is that the senses are satisfied. The heart is happy and settled. And Solomon here in Proverbs 27 is comparing that to a friend's earnest counsel to a friend's wisdom applied to your life. Earnest counsel comes from a friend, and it's a beautiful means of grace that God affords us. It's a beautiful means in which we receive the wisdom of God, that we can receive the wisdom of God through friendships, through friends offering earnest counsel. Several of us have received earnest counsel or wisdom through maybe a professional counselor. We've talked about this before, that God in his uh, abundant mercy and grace has gifted dozens and dozens of professional counsel, counselors here in Fort Worth. Many of you have seen one of those counselors, and I know it has uh, bore a lot of fruit because that experience allows you to sit with someone who can apply the wisdom of God in that 45 minutes to an hour that you're sitting with them. But we know that that experience is nothing like, it's certainly not as sweet as when a friend offers his or her counsel. And why can we say that? Why, why do we know inherently that it's not as sweet to sit with someone that doesn't know us as well? It's because a professional can learn a few things about you in the few hours you might have together, but a friend knows you deeply. A true friend knows you in seasons of mourning and seasons of dancing. A true friend knows you in the, in the times of weeping and the times of laughing. They know what you value truly. They know your personality and all its quirks. Good friends know your blind spots. And they're able to point them out in a loving way. They know you. Good friends know you. Not exhaustively. Because we're not God, we can't know one another exhaustively, but good friends know you extensively. And that's what makes their counsel so sweet. Earlier in, in Proverbs 27, if you go up to verse 6, you read a fairly famous proverb that says, Faithful are the wounds of a, of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then later on, if you skip down to verse 17 in the same chapter, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Do you have friends like this? Are you a friend like this? 
One commentator I was reading this week used the phrase in describing this type of friend uh, using the, the, the name welcome unspokenness. Do you have a friend who operates or walks in welcome unspoken, outspokenness, I should say? Welcome outspokenness. Have you been challenged by the sharpening iron of a friend? Have you been mercifully wounded by a friend? Only through knowing that you are deeply loved by a friend can we see that these wounds are part of the sweetness of true friendship. I've walked through several seasons in my own life where friends have said what at the time are surprising things to me, things that seem like they're out of left field, things that I wasn't expecting to hear come out of their mouth, but they offer those things to me by way of correction for my silliness or sinful behavior. A true friend will offer wounds sometimes to ward off foolishness. A true friend will see you in danger, maybe see you heading in the wrong way, see that you're bearing the fruit of foolishness instead of wisdom, and and will speak words that, that will hurt, but certainly not harm. Several years ago, I was walking through a a really difficult season in my life, and the difficulty of this season was because of my own sin. I was walking in extreme foolishness. I was in the cycles and the insanity cycles of addiction uh, just over and over again. And I had a friend temporarily remove fellowship from me. And at the time, I didn't understand that. Of of all times, I'm in need. I'm, I'm drowning here. And yet he removed his fellowship for a time. And it didn't make sense until months later, I saw what a grace that was. And what I actually needed to see and the wounds that that friend offered me was by showing me the consequences of my sin, that it's affecting not just me, but people that I love. That was a wound. Oh, but it was a faithful wound. It was a wound that healed. It was a wound that brought life. I can't think uh, many of us would argue that we do live in this age of shallow friendships. I mentioned this just a minute ago. Digital friendships of social media. We take fewer phone calls. We text more. We don't have as many face-to-face conversations. Not only are our friendships an inch deep, but they're also less fulfilling because of the loud drumbeat in our culture that says love means affirming. Love means affirming. Those, those two things are synonymous. There seems like there is no category for a friendship that might wound, but wound out of love and concern. Surely there's a lot of wounding going on. We, we hear a lot of wounding in our dialogue as a society, but so much of that wounding is not out of love and concern. But are you a faithful friend that can say hard things. Maybe are you a faithful friend that could walk in the ongoing ethic of Matthew 7 that Chris led us through just a minute ago? Are you a friend that can receive those hard things? Despite what we so often hear, Jesus is that type of friend. Does Jesus encourage and comfort and strengthen and call all who are weary to lay upon his bosom and to find rest? Of course he does. 
We know that to be Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers all those things and he offers wounds that we might ultimately be healed. I think of the the passage that Chris referred to last week in his sermon, the woman at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman. And when the friend of sinners, Jesus, comes to this woman at the well, he does not affirm her in her foolishness. He doesn't, he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't wink at it. And he certainly doesn't acknowledge that it is the right thing. Instead, he lovingly wounds and corrects. And this woman goes away a changed woman. We read in that passage that she is changed. She is a woman who just experienced the sweetness of a friend's earnest counsel. When Peter was called Satan, can we think of the more ultimate iron sharpening iron event in the New Testament? Peter was called Satan by his close friend Jesus. When we offer biblical wisdom to one another, we are truly offering Jesus himself. Jesus is the true friend. The sweet aroma of Jesus Christ, and that includes the words that sometimes land as a wound. We've all been wounded by the words of Jesus at one point or another as believers. Because it's so incredible that the one, Jesus, who was wounded ultimately by faithless enemies, you and me, faithless enemies, the one that wounded Jesus on the cross, he has become the faithful wounder because he really is our best friend. The truest expression of friendship is found in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of friends satisfies The earnest counsel of a friend is sweet, like oil and perfume. And number two, the faithfulness of friends save. The faithfulness of friends saves. Look at the first half of verse 10 in Proverbs 27. It says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. What does this verse tell us about the faithfulness of friends. Well, when Solomon here, who wrote these Proverbs, when he says, your friend and your father's friends, he's meaning to paint a picture of what does it look like to be a long-standing, faithful friend. This is the friend that has maybe been with you uh, for years, through thick and thin. And even when he says, your father's friend, this might be the close friend who has been a friend of your family has been known by several generations as a tried and true friend. And we're told, do not forsake such a friend. Even to the point that you see this person as closer than your blood relative, closer than your blood brother. This isn't meant to disparage blood relatives, but to elevate faithful friendship. It's to elevate faithful, uh, faithful friendship as something that we bind around our neck, that we write on the tablets of our heart, as we've heard Solomon talk about before, wisdom. This is the type of friend that you don't leave. This is the type of friend that hasn't ever left you. And we are not to forsake such a faithful friend because he or she saves you 
in the day of your calamity. You see that? This is all taking, taking place in the context of when the bottom drops out in your life. When you get that phone call that you never thought you would receive. When illness cripples you chronically. When sin rears its ugly head. There's a friend who rescues us in our need. A friend who rescues us in our need is a friend indeed. Some of us have experienced the, the photo negative of what this feels like. Some of us have lost faithful friends. Some of us have had the pain of seeing once faithful friends fall away. There are few things more painful in life than having close friends move away, possibly through death, but even more disorienting when friends are going away or have left or have fallen off because of sin and conflict. A friend who had been there in previous days of calamity but, are, but is now no longer around. Maybe this has been your experience. Maybe you're even walking through a season of deep pain because a friend is no longer in your life today. Molly and the boys and I have had this experience. We had very close friends at the church that we came from. Several years of close friendship, of vacationing together, of laughing together, of crying together, especially Molly and the wife, really close friends. And then because of sin and division and disaster and distrust, one day it all fell apart. The reason that Proverbs 27 verse 10 is so beautiful when a faithful friend saves us. When a faithful friend lifts us out of our calamity and our trouble, the reason also that it's so painful when such a friend is gone is because friendships are covenantal. Friendships are covenantal. Now I'm guessing when I say that word, when I say that friendships are a relationship of covenants that most of us would think immediately of the covenant of marriage, and we would not be wrong, because certainly marriage is certainly a, a covenant, but all true friendships are covenantal. Now, they're not drawn up in explicit vows as they are in a marriage, and certainly they're not expressed in the same way as, as they are expressed between a husband and a wife. We're not saying that at all, but true friendships are built out of covenant that has marks of covenantal responsibility between two people, of covenant faithfulness, of steadfast love, the same steadfast love that God shows to us. It's the opposite of the type of friend that we read about in Proverbs 19.4, for example, who when poverty strikes this man, this once wealthy man with many friends, is abandoned in his poverty. Once enjoying the rich covenant of friendship, and then when times get tough, the friends go away and he's all alone. And the pain that that is. A faithful friend loves at all times. And of course, this makes the fact that Jesus calls us friends in the Gospel of John all the more remarkable. The fact that Jesus, before he goes to the cross, says, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. You are 
my friends. Friendship with God was, was such a, a rare concept up to this point. It was unthinkable in many ways. Up to this point, only two names were associated with friendship with God. One of them was Moses, who wasn't even called a friend of God, but like a friend because he met with God face to face. And the other one, Abraham, who was called a friend to God. Two patriarchs of the faith, but me, but me, a friend of God. I'm the friend that quickly runs from the friendship of God in times of need. I'm the faithless one, but he is the faithful friend who loves us to the end. He is the only friend that can meet all of your needs. He's the one that can bear the weight of all your needs. He is the friend that truly saves us out of our calamity, including and especially the calamity of our sin, of our brokenness, of our rebellion. He is that friend who is able to save to the utmost. And so we, friends, have no other friend like Jesus. Finally, the nearness of friends sustains. The nearness of friends sustains. Look at the last part of verse 10. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, Solomon is no doubt talking in some ways about geographical nearness, that there indeed is perhaps a brother who does not live next door or maybe even lives farther away. But I think what he's pointing to more than geographical nearness is relational nearness. There's a neighbor, there's a friend who is closer than a brother. It is better, better to have this friend. It's better to have this neighbor who, whose heart is knitted with yours than a blood relative who is far away. The closeness of a friend sustains us in both joys and sorrows. If this is a reality in your life, if you have such a friend, do you have a friend who is close, who is near, who is closer to you than any blood relative? Do you realize that that is becoming more and more rare in our time and age? We've mentioned shallow friendships and digital friendships, but we also want to mention the loneliness epidemic, as it's been called. I think we all know this in some ways. We maybe even have experienced parts of this loneliness epidemic that we find ravaging people of all ages throughout our country, especially. But even the world is experiencing a loneliness problem. It's hitting everybody, but it's hitting men and teenagers at disproportionate rates. According to a study that I read in that Drew Hunter book, he says in 1985, the average American had about three friends in whom they said that they could confide in. Three friends in 1985. By, by 2004, almost 20 years later, that number had dropped to two friends. And one in four people said they had no one to confide in. One in four. When you leave here today and go to the grocery store or the coffee shop, when uh, you go to work tomorrow, 
when you're walking through your neighborhood, one in four people that you encounter would say they have no one who knows them. And they have no one in whom they would have the privilege of knowing. Fewer and fewer friends, more isolation, often at staring at the screen of a TV or a phone. Friendship is decaying. Friendship is falling apart. Now, I mentioned that many of us probably are in some ways taking friendship for granted, and it's understandable. Look at the bounty of blessing in this room alone. We've been blessed by close relationships, but just would beg us as we consider this bounty, this embarrassment of riches, that we recognize that there are so many people in our life that don't have this. There are so many people that we interact with that are reeling from the lack of friendship. This verse also pushes forward the theme that really is found throughout Scripture, but really comes alive and is magnified even more in the New Testament. And that, that's the theme of friendships being elevated over biological family. Friendships being elevated over blood relatives. Now, that is not at all to say that your family is not, a, not as important as friends, but what it is is the Bible holding up friendship in relationship to this beautiful thing called family and going, look at this. This, the beauty of friendship. And it's also to reimagine what it means to be a family altogether. When we elevate friendship, we redefine family. Proverbs 18.24 does just that when it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a what? Brother. Jesus turns up the volume in the Gospels. Several places, but I'll read from Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the Gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. When a family member has been left or when a brother is far away, Jesus promises the riches of friends that become family in this life. Friends who become family. This week I rediscovered an uh, article that I remember reading in the year 2000, so three, or 2020, so three years ago, uh, by David Brooks. Some of you know that name. He wrote in The Atlantic an article, and the title is provocative, so I'll say that up front. Here's the title. The nuclear family was a mistake. Whoa. Like, all of us are like, whoa, what do you mean by that? The nuclear family was a mistake. Listen to his point, though. For most of history, the norm was a dense living cluster of numerous siblings, aunts and uncles, cousins, parents, and grandparents. 
often all in the same house, and if not in the same house, right next door to one another. That was the norm before the 1950s. That's when the nuclear family was formed. And by nuclear family, we mean mom and dad and 2.5 kids. Nuclear family. Primarily, we saw the formation of a nuclear family because we were moving at that time away from a farming economy. But the nuclear family has proven very fragile since the 1960s. So now we have nuclear families that have become single-parent families, and we've had nuclear families that have become single-parent families that now have become no families at all. In the days of the large extended family network, if someone in the family died or lost their job, for example, there were more people around to step in and share those unexpected burdens. But in a nuclear family, there is no such shock absorbers. And the article went on to speak of a recent uptick in what was called forged families. They talked to a a sociologist and he talked about forged families. Families, and let me read directly from this article. It says this, Tragedy and suffering have pushed people together in a way that goes deeper than just a convenient living arrangement. Over the past several decades, the decline of the nuclear family has created an epidemic of trauma. Millions have been set adrift because what should have been the most loving and secure relationship in their life broke. Slowly, but with increasing frequency, these drifting individuals are coming together to create forged families. These forged families have a feeling of determined commitment. The members of your chosen family are the people who will show up for you no matter what. In other words, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. What's interesting in this article is that the word church is not used one time. And yet, is not the body of Christ the ultimate forged family? Are we not the ultimate forged family? I am not, by the way, in this sermon, uh, and even I'm not endorsing this entire article, it's it's a great read, it's a long read, but hear, hear me please say, I am not saying that a nuclear family as it stands today is a bad thing. I am saying that the forged family of God is a really, really beautiful thing and a necessary thing. Now, when nearly half of Americans are single maybe with one or two siblings that likely live in a different city altogether, separated from parents, alienated by loneliness, drowning among, among hundreds of Facebook friends and Twitter followers, the church better be a forged family. The church has to be a forged family. And we've been forged by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been forged by the blood of our friend and brother, Jesus. As our friend, Jesus lets us all the way in. He says that in John 15. He said, everything that the Father has shared with me, I share with you. You have it all. There's nothing I'm withholding from you. I am that friend 
as our friend, he laid down his life. But he laid down his life for wayward enemies so that we would become, by the grace of God, friends. We are in a beautiful friendship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Again, said that at the beginning. What an incredible reality. We don't spend nearly enough time dwelling on such a beautiful reality that we are friends with God whose wisdom always satisfies, whose faithfulness saves us from every trial and calamity, whose nearness, the nearness of God, sustains us to the end. Well, may we marvel at the friend that we have in Christ. And as we marvel at the friend that we have in Jesus Christ, might we be a people that seek to be that kind of friend. Might we be that kind of friend to one another? So as we close, let me quickly consider two applications that I feel flow out of this passage. There at the bottom of your handout, there are two. That we should be seeking the recovering of friendship and the rejoicing in friendship. The recovering of and the rejoicing in. So number one, we seek the recovering of friendship. We offer forgiveness and seek reconciliation. Is there unresolved conflict? Is there a falling out? Have the wounds of a friend felt more like the wounds of an enemy? Now we could say a lot about this. Forgiveness and reconciliation, those are, those are big things. That's a, that's a big deal. Maybe it's even scary to think about. Maybe you right now are thinking of someone that this relates to, a falling out, a conflict, and to go to that person to think about having forgiveness and reconciliation, it overwhelms you. But friends, God brings strength and wisdom to pursue just that in our friendships. What might he be calling you to do to mend a friendship? And number two, we seek the rejoicing in friendship, the rejoicing in friendship. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've desired our discipleship groups in particular to be a place of transformative Christian friendship. You've probably heard us say that several times. This is where we want our groups to be spaces where that type of friendship that can build deep roots can thrive. So we don't want to hide the ball at all when it comes to what we want to be known for, what we want specifically our DGs to be known for is transformative Christian friendship. A year ago when I was talking to Chris about coming over to the city, that was one of the things that really encouraged me the most, that we would be explicit about friendship and that Chris had talked about community is one thing. Community is good. We all want to be in community and to the degree that we are, we can say hallelujah, but friendship gets to the heart of it. Friendship is more specific. Oh, what it would look like to build deep friendships across the body of Christ. And so in that spirit, if you meet this week as a DG, uh, look in particular at that last question that I have there on the bottom of the handout. And even if you don't have a DG, if you don't meet with a DG, consider what does it look like to rejoice in friendships? 
Who are the closest people in your life? Who are the relationships that bring you the most joy? The people that you would say know you the best? What are ways this week that you can rejoice and strengthen any or all of those friendships? We have an embarrassment of riches in this room alone. But we only have the riches of friendship because we've been befriended by the truest friend. His name is Jesus, and let us go to God in prayer in his name. Father, we, we are, we, were, we just marvel at the fact that you would call us friends. You've shared all that you have with us. All that's yours is ours, found in Christ Jesus. And so we, we desire to love you and obey you out of the sweetness of your counsel out of the wisdom that satisfies our soul, knowing that we were faithless, we continue so often to walk in faithlessness, but you are the faithful friend who saves us from all unrighteousness, who saves us in our day of calamity. You are the friend that sticks closer than a brother, and you're the friend that sustains us to the end. You're the friend that never forsakes us. You're the friend that is near and draws even closer still in times of trouble. Well, thank you. We pray that we would rejoice all the more in that reality. And where we've seen our own friendships move astray, where we've found brokenness and discord, will you help us and give us strength and wisdom and desires to reconcile and forgive? We know it's not easy in the flesh, but we need you for that, a supernatural forgiveness and reconciliation that is only birthed by the Spirit of God. I thank you for my friends here. We love you, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen.